Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. I also want to add my voice of welcome to you. I'm so glad you are here on this 4th of July, whether you're in this room or streaming online somewhere in the four corners of the globe. Uh, Happy 4th of July, everyone. All right, we'll move on. So moving on from there, well, turn your Bibles to... uh, So anyway, it's good to have you here and uh, happy, happy that we are together as we're closing out doing the fourth, uh, the fourth week of our of our Making Change series, uh, talking about the fourth and final principle. We looked uh, the first week, we talked about less is more, and we recognize how that is such a counter-cultural thought because we live in a world where more is more, and more is better, and more is what you want. And, and uh, the reality is, is more of a lot of things is a bad thing in our lives. And so we can live. We live with when, as we learn to live with less, we'll discover we have so much more room for the things that truly matter. And then the following week, we talked about stress, specifically financial stress is bad for our lives and bad for our marriages. You know, we talked about that week that nobody, no one in all my years of pastoral ministry, no one's ever said, praise the Lord, Pastor Tony, my student loan debt is so out of control. It's making my marriage stronger. It's making my health better. It's making my kids and, and my family more robust, right? But, but we have talked about, and I have met way too many families who shared about how they were on the verge of collapse. Their, their marriage was on the rocks because of the stress that, that bad debt, and, and really the reality is, 95% of debt is bad debt that we can get into. And so bad debt, how, the, the amount of stress it will cause. And then last week we talked about giving is good, that God has made us to be givers. He is a giver. God is generous. And one of the things, especially for Christ followers, is that God is molding our hearts to be like his heart. And so the path for us is a path of generosity. Quite simply, uh, you want to know how your faith is? If you have Big generosity, you have big faith. If you have little generosity, you have little faith. If you are known as a person that has no generosity in their life, then the reality is, is you don't, you have no faith in your life. I mean, that's you can you can get a very direct correlation with where your faith is and how you believe God will provide for you uh, based on your generosity in your life. And then today we're looking at. The, the principle that tomorrow matters. Tomorrow matters. You know, I look back on my life and I look back at some of the biggest flops and the biggest failures in my life. And I promise you, there are plenty of them to look upon. Uh, those of you who know me well know that uh, I have my share of embarrassing moments, of moments I wish I could take a mulligan on, on moments I wish I could have a redo, on moments that I wish we could erase from the history books and erase from the hard drives of every person's mind who witnessed those. As I look at those things, as I look at those failures, uh, a common thread in all of them is that I tend to be in the moment. I tend to, to, to just focus on today. 
And today is all that counts when I find myself at my worst. I want what I want, and I want it right now. I want that, own, that, own, that thing, that one and only thing that I'm going after is driving me to say things that I would regret, to do things that I regret, to have attitudes and take positions that I'm embarrassed of. I'm living in the moment and I'm believing that today is all that matters. This moment is all that matters and I want my satisfaction and I want it now. A great enemy in our culture is that all of us tend to do that. We all live for today, for our pleasures and for our desires in the here and now. You know, and, and the reality is that idea is not something that's just come about in the last 20 or 25 years. We look back to Jesus' time and we see that that same principle was just as large an enemy in the lives of Jesus' friends and of his family. And we see that he takes this head on with a story. He takes this principle on with a story out of Matthew chapter 25. If you have a copy of scriptures, I invite you to, to go to Matthew chapter 25. And in that, he shares a story that teaches a very important kingdom principle that we all must own and live by in our lives if we're to follow Christ, if we're to be known as his children, if we're to be known as Christ followers. In, the, in Matthew 25, Jesus tells a story about this wealthy man who is going away for a long time. So he summons his three servants, Jesus tells, and entrusts these men with his money while he's gone. One, he gave five bags of silver. One, he gave two bags of silver. And the last servant was given one bag of silver. Now, if, you, if you're using a New Living Translation, you'll see that they'll, they'll talk about bags of silver. Some of you uh, are used to be, this being referred to as a talent, uh, a, a weight of measurement that actually in Jesus' day was an exchange of money that the Egyptians used in their trade and in their customs. Uh, and so, so you might be referring to this as five talents, two talents, and one talent. Now, the scripture said, Jesus tells the story that the first two servants, the servant that got five bags and the servant that got two bags, what did they do? Well, the first servant was wise with his money and he invested it. The second servant was diligent and he worked. He worked his rear off to gain more. The, the story goes that, that the man with five bags, the servant with five bags, he, he invested and, and gained five more bags. He had a 100% dividend return. Uh, the man who worked with his two bags, he employed those two bags of silver. He worked, he used industrious labor, and he grew his uh, income. He grew his wealth by two bags of silver. But then at the same point, while these two were working with their wisdom, with their diligence and doubling the income, the money that they, was given to them, the last servant, out of fear, out of laziness, out of a, a refusal to look at what could be, the last servant, Jesus said, simply buried the money that was entrusted to him and, and just waited for his master's return. He did nothing with the bag of silver that was granted to him to keep, to, to be a steward of. And Jesus continues in the story in verse 19, Jesus says, after a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account for how they had used his money. 
The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest, and I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. And what does the master do at this point as he sees what his servant did? He, he says, let's celebrate together. Let's celebrate the good news of what a good servant you are. And in verse 22, Jesus continues, he says, The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I've earned two more. The master said, Well done! Good job! My good and faithful servant, you've been faithful in handling this small amount so now I will give you many more responsibilities. And what else does he say? Let's celebrate together. Let's have a party for seeing how faithful and how diligent you are. Verse 24. Then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid that I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. I honestly don't know what this servant expected to happen, but this is what Jesus said happened. The master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with 10 bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. We're getting some very critical information, friends, from Jesus right now about what it's like to live in the kingdom. And here's the temptation and here's the problem. If you've been raised in church, no doubt you have memories of the flannel graph from VBS or from your kids' Sunday school of the 10, of the 10 talents and the five talents and, and the one talent that gets taken away. You know these stories and it's very easy for us to go on auto drive. But the reality is there are such important kingdom principles here that, help, that will help guide and shape our thinking for the future of life if we just lean into them. The very first principle that we've been working through this whole month uh, and that is being replicated here in this teaching from Jesus is simply the fact that God owns everything. God owns everything. Everything that is in this earth, God owns it. Everything that is in your possession, guess what? You think you own it? No, God owns your stuff. Here's the reality. If you believe that your stuff is your stuff, that you earned it, that you worked for it, that you saved for it, and it's yours, and it's at your discretion to employ it however you see best, and no one else can tell you what to do with your stuff, the reality and the, the truth is it is going to be very hard for you to ever let go of any of it. If you believe that your stuff is your stuff and no one else can tell you what to do, then know that you will always struggle with generosity. 
you will always struggle with the concept of the tithe within the church. The, you know, and, and I would also tell you that if this, is, if this is who you are, then the reality is, uh, the principle is we have a very, very potent tool. We have a very powerful tool that can help you change your thinking, and that is called the, the tithe. It's what forces us to change our thinking from believing that our stuff is our stuff and we can do whatever we want with it, and we're the ones who are in control of it. You see, a lot of times we have a very erroneous view. We have a very wrong view of the tithe. Some of us think that the tithe is just, well, God needs my money, or that ch the church needs my money, and so therefore they've created this system called tithing in order to put a guilt trip on me, in order to do something to make me, uh, to make my family uh, financially support the church that I'm a part of, to financially support the spiritual family that I'm a part of. Understand, and if you wonder or struggle with what the tithe is or have those doubts, write this down because, because here's the best, most succinct understanding of what the tithe is and why the tithe, uh, you realize the tithe was introduced in Genesis. The tithe is one of the oldest principles that humanity has in regards to their relationship with God and their walk with the Lord. And so it's easy for us to maybe not understand quite exactly what the tithe is meant to do or what it's meant to accomplish. The tithe is a declaration of God's ownership and mastery over us. That is the whole purpose of why God instituted the tithe back even in Genesis. We have the tithe to show ourselves, to remind ourselves and to show the world who owns us in a very practical way. It's easy for us to tell people, oh, yeah, I trust God. I have faith in God. God owns me. Well, the, an unbelieving world could look at you and rightly ask the question, prove it. Prove it. And, and we don't have, you know, we, we, we have just, just colloquialisms or, or we just have maybe trite statements to, to, you know, well, during tough times, during tough times, I have faith to guide me through. Well, prove it. Prove it. One of the Best ways to be able to prove to a doubting world is to say, you know what, I trust God so much that I give a portion of my income to him and to his ways. You know, I just asked the question, this is a fair question for all of us to ask ourselves, how would life be changed? How would my life be changed if I lived as if God owns everything that I have, that I have? What would life look like? What would my generosity look like? What would my family look like? What would people around me, my friends and my neighbors, what, how would they respond to me? What would they experience from me if I live my life in such a way that the reality that God owns everything I have is true and apparent in me? So that's the first principle. It's a principle we've been working on and talking about through this whole season. So it's nothing new. Here's a second principle that we see here that Jesus is teaching us that, uh, that might be new for some of us. It's something we've not talked about until today. And that is the second thing we see in this scripture, the second thing I see in this scripture, is that tomorrow matters. Like I said earlier, we live in a world that says today matters. Today is all that we have. Today, let's focus on getting what I want, when I want, now, in this very moment, not waiting for tomorrow, but we live with a scripture, we live with God's word that teaches us that tomorrow matters just as much as today does. 
Why does tomorrow matter? Because one day in the future, you and I will give an account for our lives. Quite, re- quite in the reality, the, the, the reality of it is, is you and I will experience judgment from God. We will stand before him one day, every person, young and old, great and small, educated and uneducated, rich and poor, all of us will be before God and we will give an account for our lives. Understand, this is not a preacher trying to manipulate you or scare you. <clears throat> Rather, this is simply, I'm, I'm reminding you and pointing out what Paul shared to the church in Romans 14, verse 10. He says, so why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer. Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For the scripture says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Now, this teaching is one that tends to get missed out on in American, contemporary American religion, the reality that every person will be judged. Every person will stand in account to God for their lives and how they operate and how they spent their lives. In this moment, some of you who are more theologically astute might be right now pushing back and maybe warning bells are going off saying, Tony, I thought there was no condemnation in God. Dave here, I know, is a preacher that revels in the grace of Jesus. And so right now there might be a warning bell going off in his mind right now. And he's saying, you know, hey, Tony, wait a second. We have, we don't have to fear. We don't, we don't earn, we don't earn our salvation. We don't earn our place with God. There's nothing we can do. Uh, you, you know, you, you might be pointing back on me saying, Tony, you said there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you less. All those things are true, right? All those things are true. And I also recognize that that when the believer starts thinking about judgment, it can be very natural to start getting very uncomfortable and wanting to push back. And here's the reason why, because when, when you and I, when we just hear the word judgment, we often think of God like this. Show the picture, Brenda. We, we think of the, the judgment seat of God here where a judge is pointing a gavel at us and he's angry and he's mad, and he's frustrated with how we've, all the boneheaded decisions we've made, and there's going to be deep, deep penalties. Now, make no mistake, there is a judgment place uh, where people will experience this kind of notion of God. The scriptures tell us in Revelation, and we're actually going to talk about this in the fall and look at what happens after we die and with greater clarity during that time. But just to give you a little heads up on this, yes, the scripture makes it very clear that every non-believer will stand in front of God one day. And you know what? They will experience a judge that's going to be looking for who's paying, who's going to pay for your sin. And unfortunately, uh, just and I say unfortunately rather tritely, I don't mean to sound like this, but the, 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 the sadness of it, the, the, the terrible thought is this, that those people who come and experience God as a judge like that is going to have no choice but to hold their hands open because they've denied Christ their whole life and they're, they're going to have to pay for their sin on their own. They're going to have to experience the wrath and the judgment on their own. Now, the problem is you and I as Christ followers, 
we, when we think of judgment, we think of that experience. And we think that's what it's going to look like for us. Or how does it look like? If that's what judgment is, what is it going to look like for us? Well, understand that, that when the Bible talks about, when Paul talks about the judgment that the believers are going to experience, it's not, it's not in this experience. Matter of fact, he uses a word, uh, bema, B-E-M-A is the, English, is the English spelling for this Greek word, the bema seat of God. The, it's a word describing the judgment seat of God. And Paul says that every believer is going to experience the judgment seat of God. That's what we just read in, in Romans 14 there. Understand that for believers, what Paul is describing is not about your eternal destination, because the reality is for the believer, that was decided when Christ died on the cross and you took that reality into your life. So when we go before the Bema of God, the judgment seat of God, it's not going, oh, okay, is, is God going to apply the Christ's, Christ's blood on me? Is, is he going to be faithful in his promises? No, that's already decided. You will have nothing to fear on that judgment. The Bema seat of Christ is understood uh, that you, you, you undergo more, something more like this. Show the next picture, Brenda. The Bema seat of Christ was talking about a judgment's platform. And literally, uh, what the Bema was that Paul was instituting was a position that was in the, the Athenian Games, which the Athenian Games is what our Olympics was based after. And the Bema was the platform in which the contestants, the athletes, would come and receive their rewards. Take that picture in. Look at this team. These, these were, this was our track team from the last, the last summer Olympics. And as they are there, look at the pride on their face. Look at the celebration. Look at the joy from all of the hours of training, all of the, the things that these men spent in order to receive, in order to receive their medals. And Paul is talking, ta Paul is telling us that every one of us will one day be on a platform. And we're not going to experience an angry judge pointing his gavel at us, telling us how much we failed, but rather what we're going to see is have a chance to review our life to see what it is that we have been awarded for how we have spent our lives and for the choices we made for the kingdom purposes. And it's meant to be, this Bema is meant to be, for, for most of us, it's designed to be a place of joy, a place of celebration, a place of tears, where you understand maybe for the first time all of the sacrifice and all of the pain you've gone through, how it's worth it, because you get the praise and the adulation of the people assembled around you watching this judgment and of the very judge himself saying, well done, well done, good and faithful servant, because you have been faithful in a few things. I will give you many. I will enlarge your kingdom. I will enlarge your responsibility. I will enlarge your capacity for doing good. But the reality is, is there will be some, just as this parable, that when they come to the Bema, they played it safe their whole life. They buried their treasure. They buried their talent. 
They refuse to take a risk. They refuse to be diligent. They refuse to invest. And for those people, is their position in doubt? No, absolutely not. They have no fear of being cast out in rejection. But will they have what was given to them, what was entrusted to them, taken away? And their responsibilities diminish. Their position diminish. From my understanding of the reading of Matthew 25, yes, that is a possibility. That is that could probably what be what happens to someone who chooses to be a poor steward of the things that God has entrusted in their lives. And so I just ask this question, how would you live knowing that tomorrow matters? What would you do differently in your life? I would say that we should start by seeing ourselves as kingdom investors rather than earthly spenders. What's the difference between spending and investing? For some of us who are not, uh, not, not, not educated in financial principles, it could, be, it could be easy to go spending and investing. It's all the same thing. I give money away. No, that's not true. In spending, you use your money. You pay out. And when you pay out, when you spend, you do not expect that that resource will ever come back to you in any appreciable way. I go to a movie. Yeah, I'm buying a couple of hours of entertainment, but I don't think that in any way that that whatever that $2, $3 or $25, depending on what time of the day and what time of the week you go to the movie, uh, will ever come back to me in, in some form. When I invest, what I'm doing is I'm, in, I'm devoting something outside of myself, expecting some kind of return. And so the question for us today, both for our physical finances, our earthly resources, and our, also our spiritual commitment, is will you spend all of your money in this life, or will you focus a portion of your money and a portion of your resources on making investments in your life? Will you spend your life, or will you invest your life, is a question every person has to answer in this room. An example is I could choose to spend my time by binge watching whatever the latest Netflix episode is. The latest Netflix show I could invest. I say invest. Nope, I'm not investing, am I, Dave? I'm spending, I'm spending hours, days allowing that show to stream into my mind, or I could take that time and invest it by spending it with someone and investing my life in them as I mentor them and grow them in Christ. You see the difference? I spend it by watching TV. I invest it by putting it with other people. I could spend all of my time managing my child and his behavior. Now hear me clearly. Our kids need to have time spent managing their behaviors. I'm not saying that that's a wrong investment. But I'm saying this, and some of us, we spend all of our time trying to manage our kids. And what I would say to you parents is maybe we should take some of that time that we normally spend investing in our or spending in our kids by managing their behavior, and we take that time and we invest it by praying for them. Time where we are going to God and we're uh, we're imploring for our kids' futures. We're, we're speaking and praying for their hearts, for their salvations, for their friends, for their mates. 
And it'd be easy for us to go, why am I spending this time on my knees praying for my kid? Because right now they got a handful of bottle rockets and they're trying to launch them into a neighbor's house. I need to be, I need to be spending my time monitoring them, right? I need to be spending my time trying to, trying to help them uh, man, manage their time and manage their, what they're doing. And, and we'll, again, that's important. We got to do those things. I'm not saying that we don't. But sometimes we wonder why we're not getting any dividends for all of the management that we're doing for our children's behavior. And I would say, let's quit trying to spend on managing and let's invest by praying. You see the difference? Okay, great. I'm glad we're all together on this. Very good. When you become an investor, your money is put to work to you. You make more money, and that's good. And so I tell you on the earthly side, uh, friends, as we begin to pay our bills out, as we begin to understand that less is more, you're going to start finding that you have more resources. The worst thing you can do is say, oh, I got more resources. How many more toys can I buy? What are the things that I can start acquiring more? And you start living counterproductive because you were once saying less is more, but now all of a sudden more is more and I got more money so I can start buying more toys. No, what do you do with that more money? Start investing it, friends. And this today, as I said last week, I'm not going to sit here and try to give you investment advice, but I would invite you, I'd invite you to take our class when we open up our Money Matters University in the fall. Maybe if you wonder about how to invest or be a better investor, take that class, be a part of that, connect to that, to learn those principles. I would say not just about physical money, but when you become a kingdom investor, our resources are put to work to grow the kingdom. And this also is good. Let's do it. Do it. There's another picture, because there was just so many pictures I found online showing athletes that were receiving judgment. This was another picture that I'm just watching, and I was like, wow, I was struck by that. I was struck by, by the emotions these men were feeling after they won their gold as a swimming team in their, their Olympics. And I look at that, and I think about how we can invest, how we can invest our lives to one day know that we will be on the Bema and we will be on the dais receiving our rewards for how we have invested our lives in kingdom principles. And I think of Matthew 25, verse 21. As I look at these faces, the master was full of praise. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Church, we have invested in many projects. We've invested in many efforts over the last 16 years. When you think about it, Mission trips, families, individuals, helping kids, feeding kids, providing safe experiences for families, spreading the gospel in so many different ways. Right now, as we think about that, I, I, I'm curious, you know, what investment comes to your mind uh, as we think about all the ways that this church has invested? Maybe, maybe it's something you've participated in. 
Maybe it's something that you gave towards. Maybe it's something that just as you heard reported, such as the mission trip our, our teenagers and some of our adults just took. Maybe you think of that uh, as, a, as an investment. The reality is that was something that we have invested in. The reality, friends, is this church, you as members of this congregation, as members of this church, understand that you are a 10, you are a 10 bags of silver. You are a 10 talent kind of church. You have so much. We have been given so much. To be sure and certain, as a Christ follower, our place in his kingdom is sure and secure. There is no doubt about that. But our rewards and our future assignment is ultimately up to our vision. It's up to our endurance. It's up to our faithfulness and our performance. And so I would tell you, I would encourage you to see yourself as an investor. See yourself as an investor with the physical resources that God has granted to you in this time and learn, begin as fast as you can to get on a path where the money that is entrusted to you is making money for, for, you know, for your efforts, right? When you get to a place financially where your money, the money that is in your bank account is making money for you, that's a good thing. That's a place where you want to be. That's something to aspire for. And friend, I'd also say this, say this to you. See yourself as an investor in your kingdom resources. Be a great steward of the stuff that God has entrusted to you. Be diligent. Be a diligent worker. Be a wise worker in these things. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you right now. And God, we thank you. We thank you for the truth that you have given us so many blessings. You have given me and given us so much stuff, God. So much more than average people all across history have ever received. And Lord, the truth is we understand that one day we will give an account for what we do with our resources, for how we spend the, the resources you've entrusted to us. Lord, my prayer is for me, for my friends in this body, that when we are before you in the Bema seat, that, that we would experience incredible reward because you will find that we were diligent with our resources and we invested and we were wise stewards for kingdom purposes and for our families and for our community. Give us that wisdom, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Northridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.